of just how how what a lack of knowledge people have uh, around something that our founding fathers left us that for whatever reason over 400 attempts apparently in the past to convene a convention of states it has in fact never happened so on with me today I have Mark Meckler who is the president of convention of states Mark welcome to my show Hey, thanks for having me, and thanks for being willing to wade into the fire here. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Apparently, it's a and it's an inferno. <laughs> so, so people are like, "You sure you want to? Uh, you sure you want to? Uh, you know exactly what you said. Get into the fire with us." So, I, I need you to do me a favor. I need you to just start bare minimum, like start from the beginning. What is it? And then we'll get to what it isn't. Sure. So in Article 5 of the United States Constitution, I know your listeners and viewers love the Constitution, you'll find the two ways that we're able to propose amendments to our Constitution. First, the way we've done it 27 times in the past is when two house, two-thirds of both houses of Congress propose an amendment, it goes out to the states for ratification by three-quarters of the states. That's the constitutionally mandated process. The second clause of Article 5 says when two-thirds of the states call for a convention— then the states gather in convention to debate and propose amendments, just like Congress can do. And then again, that goes out to the states for ratification by the same methodology as if Congress had proposed it. So that's the basic process as laid out in Article 5 of the Constitution. Okay. And why is now a good time to do this? Well, I think you have to kind of rewind the history and and see why the founders put it in. On September 15, 1787, Colonel George Mason addressed the convention And he said, we have a terrible problem with the Constitution. This is, by the way, two days before the end of convention. He said, we've given the power to Congress to propose amendments, but not to the people acting through the states. And he asked a question, are we so naive that we believe that a federal government that becomes a tyranny will ever propose amendments to restrain its own tyranny? Now, of course, we know the answer to that is no. No tyranny in human history has ever restrained itself, said, I have too much power. We have too much power. We need to give it back. So the founders gave us a way to do this. We also know that there was no disagreement among the founders. Madison's notes reflect just two little Latin words, abbreviations at this moment in convention, nin com, which means no comment or no debate. Nobody debated this with Mason. And in fact, they then voted unanimously to give us this right. So the history is they knew a time would come when the federal government became unresponsive and became a tyranny. We live in that time. I think all your viewers and listeners would agree. So that's why now is the time. Sure. Yeah, we would absolutely agree on that. Uh, So how many states so far have signed uh, resolutions? It takes 34 states to call a convention. The constitutionally specified number is two-thirds of states. And so far, uh, as of about a week ago, we have 18 states. Just in the last month or so, we've passed Wisconsin, Nebraska, and then most recently West Virginia, South Carolina passed the Senate last week. 
And that was the second of the houses, but it's slightly different than what they passed in the House. That has to go back to the House for concurrence. We expect that in another week or so. Okay. A narrow set of topics has been passed as resolutions in state legislatures um, that have signed on. What are those topics, uh, and, and can they be altered once you hit the convention floor? So there are three uh, subject matter areas, as we call them, that have been proposed. One is we can talk about anything that would impose fiscal restraints on the federal government. That would include popularly a balanced budget amendment and limitations on taxation and spending. Number two is anything that would impose term limits on federal officials and Congress. This is important, not just term limits on Congress, but on federal officials, the people you and I have come to know as the deep state, especially over the last few years, staffers bureaucrats, and the federal judiciary. All of those are important. And then finally, the third area is anything that would limit, and that word's important, limit the scope, the power, and jurisdiction of the federal government. So for example, this is where we go back to the enumerated powers and we say, no, you can't be involved in education or healthcare or energy. Mm -hmm. And no, you can't pack the Supreme Court with a bunch of extra justices. Right, right. I'm so glad you mentioned the careers. Because every time someone brings up term limits and they think that's going to be the answer, I'm like, but it's not. Because with every administration, as you well know and have addressed it here, you do have the careers who ultimately just make life a living hell for the rest of us, Uh, you know, in in perpetuity, it seems. Um, How do you see the restoration of federalism taking shape and how do you account for career? Well, we already addressed that, but you talked about restoring federalism to the country. How would a convention of states actually perpetuate that? In my opinion, Monica, this is actually the ultimate act of federalism because this is where the founders said, look, if it gets really out of control, you guys are going to have to take back power from the federal government. You're going to have to give it back to the states. That's what federalism is all about this balance of power between the states and the federal government, where the states were actually supposed to be, generally speaking, have the majority of the power. The federal government was intended to have limited enumerated powers. There were 17 of them under the original constitution. And the states were supposed to have unlimited, unspecified power, the states and the people, everything that was left. That balance has been flipped. And so this is an attempt to restore federalism. And I think this is really important in the context of today's divisive political environment. One of the reasons that we argue about everything, and everything is so important, every presidential election, every Supreme Court nomination, every major spending bill that comes out of Congress, is because everything's being decided in D.C. Mm-hmm. And the way our system was set up, the real federal system was set up so that we wouldn't decide all that much in Washington, D.C. We didn't have to fight against each other. The states could be states. They could be different. Texas could be different than New York, and mm-hmm. New York different than Illinois, et cetera. That's real federalism, and the entire Convention of States movement is an attempt to restore that federalism. Sure. Yeah, it's almost as if we're living kind of a national globalism, if you will, because I always refer to globalism as the homogenization pool. And uh, with everything being so federally uh, minded, um, you know, and it really is astonishing, Mark. It seems like, you know, a lot of states... Um, and people I speak with, uh, voters, you know, kind of feel like their their legislatures have all but, uh, you know, given up on some level. But clearly not because people are signing on, uh, you know, with with this uh, with the Convention of States. So how are delegates selected? Because this this was a major concern to my, to my followers. Uh, they're concerned that the wrong people are going to show up and decide on something of this magnitude. So the selection of delegates is, again, truly federalist. It's one of the things I love about the process. Every state, 
and that is the state legislature, as specified in the Constitution, will decide how to select their own delegates. And you'll hear people say that somehow Congress gets to decide, the federal government gets to decide. That's absurd and ridiculous. The entire purpose of the second clause Mm -hmm. of Article 5 was to wire around Congress, to wire around the federal government. So states will choose however they want. Each state gets one vote, but each state can send as many delegates as they choose, decided on by their state legislatures. Okay. All right, that's good to know. So many Americans believe that we're not living according to our Constitution as it is. And so a common argument whenever I threw this out to my listeners is we don't live by the laws we currently have. We effectively have, you know, stored the Constitution away somewhere or all but just desecrated it. And so what is it that should give people faith that with a convention of states and with this and with this particular uh i guess you could call them they're not concessions but but with this ratification uh with these amendments right what's supposed to give americans faith that they would actually be abided by or that they would be handled with any level of morality when we see such a disintegration of morality as it is now as it pertains to our constitution So I think that's the best question there is. I I may be a little biased, but when I first heard about this idea, that was my question. I I don't understand. Federal government doesn't follow the Constitution now. We make up a bunch of amendments, and then why would they follow the Constitution? And so I'm going to tell you what I heard when I first asked that question. I asked Mike Ferris, founder of the Homeschool Movement in America, HSLDA, now the CEO and general counsel of Alliance Defending Freedom, the world's largest religious liberties organization. I asked him that, and what he said is, well, Mark, which constitution are you talking about when you say they don't abide by the constitution? I thought, well, we only have one. That's a weird mm-hmm. question. And he said, no, we actually have two. Uh, in fact, I've got a, something I got to show you here. So okay. When, when you say the constitution, this is what you're referring to. It's a pocket constitution. This yes. one's hardbound, right? Yes. But that's the one we're referring to because when you and I talk about the constitution, that's what we're thinking of. It's succinct, succinct. I think most of us can understand it. Just a few pages, most versions, 13, 15 pages in a book like this. Let me show you something else. You can order this from the federal government publishing office. It says on the spine, the Constitution of the United States of America, Centennial Edition. Look at the size of that. Right. <laughs> it looks like my incredible. old Bible. <laughs> with all the supplements, this is over 10 pounds. I travel with it sometimes. Wow. So I travel with. But here's the deal. They call this the Constitution of the United States because it contains all the cases that you and I don't like that oh, have expanded wow. federal authority. It contains... Roe versus Wade. It contains the Obergefell gay marriage decision. It contains all the Commerce Clause decisions, which expand the federal government's authority over every area of our lives. Mm -hmm. This is why it's important when we say they don't follow the Constitution. Which one are we talking about? Right. They follow that big one. Yes. And the problem is, see, so this is the key. They follow that one. And so what that means is, generally speaking, if we want to get back to this one, which I do and you do and your listeners do, in order to do that, we have to hold an Article 5 convention. There's no other way to do it. Right. How many supporters do you have? So across the country, supporters and activists, over 5.2 million people are wow. part of this organization now. Over 1,000 people a day organically join the organization. Some days it's much higher when President Joe Biden gave his vaccine mandate speech. Over right. 20,000 people joined the organization that day. Right. And how would someone go about getting involved? They go to conventionofstates.com. 
First thing you do is sign the petition. That petition will automatically be sent to your state legislators, your House member and your Senate member. So they'll know you're in support. This is important. Even if you're in a state that's already passed it, Mm -hmm. we need to hold that ground once we take that ground. Uh, Once you've done that and you've signed up, I would recommend people go further. It's not enough to sign a petition. Click on the Take Action tab at the top of the page and sign up to be a volunteer. Convention of States, uh, conventionofstates.com, people are involved at all different levels. They spend a few minutes a week, an hour a week. Some people volunteer for us on a full-time basis. It's going to take everybody getting involved to save the country. I'm going to I'm going to bring this up really quick because I think this is what we're looking at this year. Is that right? States considering the convention. Uh, yep. uh, okay. In, in 2022. So if you guys see your state on here, this is the time. If you're interested in a convention of states, if you're interested in taking your country back, if you are interested in no longer simply complaining about things on social media, but actually making a difference. And, and I think that you've, I think Mark, You've made the case, or maybe maybe you could go a little bit deeper in this. How is it that that you keep it from running away? How, how how do you how do you abstain from a runaway convention? In the sense that a lot of people believe, okay, great, you're going to show up with the three, but what if what if there's a majority right. of people who try to uh, go an alternate route, and we end up with something? We end up with Frankenstein's baby that we never want to live with. Yeah. And that is the most common objection I hear, to be fair, is the it's called the runaway convention argument. It's the idea that once the delegates go to convention, they'll do whatever they want and they'll throw away those three limited areas and they'll do whatever they want. So there's a few ways to address it. First is conservatives. So we should always know where our arguments come from. What's the foundation for argument? Don't just believe something somebody told you. Where does that idea come from? Who said it first? What's the literature supporting it? Mm-hmm. Who's involved in that side of the argument? And the answer to that is that argument first came from Chief Justice Warren Burger, You might recognize that name. He was the Chief Justice of Roe versus Wade, mm-hmm. what I would describe as one of the most evil, immoral, and unconstitutional decisions in American history. He was asked what he thought of the idea of a convention. At the time, people were proposing a convention to overturn Roe versus Wade. So what do you think he thought? <laughs> he said, right. it's a terrible idea. We could have a runaway convention and lose our beloved constitution. Right. So he had a dog in the fight against a, a convention. He then contracted with a couple of professors from Harvard and Yale to write runaway convention arguments. And unfortunately, some folks on the right bought those arguments. Now, if you want to run that all the way forward to today, it's important to note every single left-leaning organization in the United States of America that's nationally known, and I do I do mean everyone, signed a press release, and it was four years ago on Good Friday, seems ironic, led by Common Cause, Center on Budget and Policy Priorities, two Soros groups, signed by Planned Parenthood, LaRaza, MoveOn.org, Socialist Party, basically every terrifying leftist group in America that hates America, the baby killers and the America haters. And so folks who say runaway convention, well, that's the same argument used by all those groups. And so that's the enemies, the friends of convention estates is every single nationally known conservative. You named a bunch of them. Right. It's Mark Levin. It's yeah. Shapiro. It's Glenn Beck. It right. was Limbaugh when he was alive. All of these guys in support. So the idea that it could run away, they all say no legally in the end. And there's a lot of other protections. But in the end is this. And this is the most important, Monica. It's basic math. It takes 38 states to ratify something that comes out of convention. Convention has no power except to suggest. Right. So that means it takes only 13 states to stop it. I'll use the Second Amendment as an example. I hear all the time we're going to lose the Second Amendment. We're big gun right folks sure. in my house. Here's, here's the math. 
Can you actually not find 13 states that would oppose the ratification of the repeal of Second Amendment? Tennessee, Alabama, Georgia, the Carolinas, right? You got the Dakotas, you got Wyoming. I mean, you you can name 25 states like that. We now have 23 states with constitutional carry. So if you can't find 13 states that would oppose that, you're just living in a fantasy world. Sure. Yeah. Good point. Well, you've made uh, you you've certainly made the case here today, <laughs> and I'm sure I will get more emails or text messages about. Well, yeah, but what about this? But you have hit on pretty much the majority, and I got to be honest with you, Mark. I think people are just so um, they're tired, and they feel like um, justice. Everything is lip service, and they feel like justice has been obstructed to the point where it's, it hasn't been molested. She's literally just been raped and murdered. Yes. You know, Absolutely. and um, and so people are they don't really know what to believe anymore. So that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on so people can see you and hear from you and know that this is still very much so alive. Have you is the majority of your has the majority of your pushback been from Democrats? Because I'm also hearing from some of my listeners that their Republican legislature, some of their more deep seated GOP, uh, you know, establishment folks are not super pumped about this either. Yeah, it's both. I mean, it's really interesting. It's it's absolutely almost unified on the left. So all the statists hate it. But we have some objections, sometimes from the centrist, mostly from what I would describe as my compatriots on the far right. And they're, the John Birch Society kind of leads the charge. And frankly, mostly those are just crazy people. But I, I encounter them all <laughs> over the country. They say, I'm paid by George Soros. Apparently, Levin and Hannity are as well. I mean, it's just really outrageous assertions they make, even in right. under oath in state legislatures. So that's really the prime opponents, the far left. And then there's a few on the right using the exact same talking points. I would say to anybody on the right who's thinking about this, you got to know that you're actually getting into bed with Soros and La Raza and Planned Parenthood. So be really careful before you take that position. Yeah, good to know. Mark Meckler, thank you so much. And everyone go to uh, COS or either conventionofstates.com. It's not COS, convention of states. Got it. All right. Thank you, sir. God bless your efforts and come back anytime with updates. We'd love to hear from you again. Thanks, Monica. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, guys. So there you go. Um, You know, I'm tempted to quote President Trump right now, whenever he looked at black America and said, what have you got to lose? Right? I mean, it's pretty bad right now. We, we can all agree on that. It's pretty bad. And I don't know that we've actually seen uh, the worst of it, but it's, it's pretty bad. And so what have you got to lose? If your state is on this list, Hawaii, Illinois, Iowa, Kansas, Kentucky, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, Minnesota, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New Mexico, New York, North Carolina, Ohio, Pennsylvania, South Carolina, South Dakota, Vermont, Virginia, Washington, Wyoming, I would encourage you to contact your state legislators and tell them how you feel about the necessity for convention of states. I was approached about a year ago um, about the prospect of actually um, assisting with this uh, effort. 
And, um, and I was so busy with election integrity. I live in Fulton County, Georgia. Um, you know, it, it just, it seemed like a far fetched. I was like, gosh, you guys just do your thing in your, in your lane, in your field. And I'm over here in mine. Um, but as it has made its way back to me, um, and, and I do see the desperation, I hear the desperation in American voices. Um, I see how out of control our Congress is, and there doesn't seem to be, um, anything in sight that is going to, uh, put a stop to that runaway train and other than this. And most of you are pinning your hopes on uh, your primaries and the midterms, right? Or 2024. And I would encourage you to stop in the midst of that, that anticipation, that enthusiasm, however it is you're working it out by volunteering in your uh, respective districts and states and counties um, as a Republican voter, I would encourage you to stop and take a deeper look at this as a viable solution to putting a stop to people. Uh, you know, we've we've gotten to the point where we, we make fun of Nancy Pelosi, right? Primarily because it's abysmally obvious that there's something going on there that probably involves a little bit of tincture. So, uh, but at this point, you know, it's, it's, it's no longer acceptable for us to just hold our breath from election cycle to election cycle. That seems redundantly stupid to me. That just does not seem like the America I know, right? We're smarter than that. I hope. And we're certainly more desperate than that at this point. Right. And so how beautiful is it? Like people keep saying, well, God's going to have to show up. Yes, I've said that too. But you know what? What if he already did? What if he already did through Article 5? What if that's his handwriting? What if that's his solution to people running completely roughshod over this nation? And hopefully you see now that this is not just about this nation. This is about the globe. Because what happens here clearly affects the entire globe. And I think it's time as Americans for us to step out of this psychological warfare that we've been entrapped in for the past Gosh, I could go back to the beginning of Obama's administration, but just through media alone, it's become so vile, filthy, and nasty for the past five years, right? And so people don't know what to believe. They're desperate. They're sad. They're fed up. They're, you know, waiting on the end, whatever. Um, but no, you, you have something that you can do. You have something at your disposal that was thought of by the founding fathers. And if you believe that our constitution was a God breathed document, which I do. And as a minister, I always say that because I believe that God is the author of Liberty and on man's best day, 
his bend is not toward liberty without God. Sorry. So I think, you know, for those of you who are pearl clenching Trump haters, you know, you just didn't think that God would use somebody like him because he said two Corinthians or whatever it was, it blew y'all skirts up. Um, you know, do you see what's happening to the country? Or do you just enjoy, uh, you know, two to four year election cycle of, of campaign mailers and you having a seat at someone's table, you getting to be the donor of the decade for crappy politicians who don't give a damn about this country. And what are we left with? Complaining. So I want to encourage you all, at the very least, just take a look at it. Take a look at it. Uh, Sign up. Sign your name to the petition. Contact your legislators. If it makes sense to you, go for it. If it doesn't, stick to your complaining. Whatever works for you. And hold your breath for the midterms. Hold your breath for 2024. But in the meantime, I happen to believe that God is extending, uh, not an olive branch, but probably one of the best ideas our founding fathers had. And the fact that this thing has literally had like 400 attempts in all of our years, and it has never come to pass. Maybe it's because we just needed to get that desperate and that humble, right? We're so proud as Americans, American pride. But we're sitting here with egg on our face on the international landscape. We are watching our Congress literally take us into the depths of debt that no amount of generations will be able to swim out of. They are clearly attempting to um, obfuscate and, and reset this nation. Constitution be damned. That is the most basic way and elementary way that I could say that. So, and you know it. We all know it. The world knows it. Even Democrats know it. So I would encourage you also to evangelize your Democrat friends, neighbors, colleagues, coworkers, whatever. You don't have to beat people over the head with, uh, with this or with the values of the Republican Party. It doesn't take that. When people are desperate and they can't afford gas and they're not going to be able to find things very soon, trust me, they're going to listen because that's just how it works. So thank you for joining me today. Make sure you go and uh, check out Mark Meckler on Twitter. Go follow him also at conventionofstates.com. And you know where to find me. I'll be back here uh, tomorrow, actually. I'm excited. I have a very special guest again. <laughs> this has been my week of special guests. Uh, it will He will remain anonymous until tomorrow because I want you to focus on this. Conventionofstates.com. Go check that out today. It answers every question you would ever have about this. And I hope today helped as well. All right. Thanks for joining me until next time.